0: Welcome to Tell Me What to Google, I'm Michael Kent, and this is a podcast where listeners tell me something they recently learned from the internet that they think I should learn about. It's a podcast without a category because you tell me what we're going to talk about. And today's topic comes from one of my great friends, Matt, and it's about something I had never considered. Hey Michael, this is Matt from Pittsburgh. I was just reading about how Chuck Yeager created a legend by flying under a low bridge in West Virginia, and I thought you should do an episode about that. Thanks, man. Well, this is super interesting. I've had a lifelong fascination with flight. I love aviation. I've never piloted an aircraft, but I've always wanted to. Uh, My grandfather had a hand in designing most of the lights that are used on airplanes today. And my brother and I grew up playing a series of flight simulators on the computer when we were kids. One of those was called Chuck Yeager's Air Combat. And I've driven over the Chuck Yeager Bridge in Charleston, West Virginia so many times. Every trip to the beach, in fact, we drive over that bridge. I never once stopped to think why it was called that. Let's check this out. So the first few results are pretty recent, and they're stories about Chuck Yeager, quote, setting the record straight. Apparently, this is one of those tales that's been exaggerated and embellished over time. And it's a story that Yeager himself denied for many years after. During an air show at the Chuck Yeager Airport, which was formerly named the Kanawa Airport but was renamed in 1985 to celebrate Chuck Yeager's contributions to flight, Senator Joe Manchin said, You all probably heard the story and probably wondered if it was true. It's official. He finally admits it. Yeager interrupted Manchin, saying, I would not admit anything. Chuck Yeager grew up in Myra, West Virginia and joined the Army Air Force in 1941. He started as an aircraft mechanic, but quickly rose up through the ranks and became a pilot. He had a natural talent both as a pilot, but also had unusually sharp 20-10 vision. It was said Yeager once shot a deer at 600 yards. He trained as a fighter pilot, flying a P-39 Airacobra, but shipped off to fight in World War II to flight the legendary P-51 Mustang. One story that's in Jaeger's book, he recalls that when he was training on the P-51, he'd fly so low that the airplane would leave prop marks on the dirt roads and wire fences were a flight hazard. This is the aircraft that is said to have saved the day in World War II. Allied bombers were being shot down by the German Luftwaffe at an all-time high, and the P-51 fighter plane was introduced as a bomber escort. Often the P-51s would break away from the bombers they were escorting to dogfight with German fighters, deep inside German territory. And this was really the first time that the bombers could fly that deep inside German territory because of these P-51 escorts. Chuck Yeager racked up 12 and a half aerial victories in his P-51. He called his airplane Glamorous Glen" after his fiance, Glennis. He was promoted to captain during his tour in the European theater. And by the time he was ready to return home in 1945, he had flown a total of 64 combat missions, a total of 270 hours in his P-51. He came back to the States and married Glennis the next month. If you look up Yeager's record during World War II, it's pretty incredible. It's more fascinating and interesting than I could possibly fit into this podcast, but it includes many stories, including being shot down over France and escaping thanks to the French resistance. But Chuck Yeager's legacy in World War II would be overshadowed by his legacy as a test pilot later in life. On October 14, 1947, he became the first pilot to break the sound barrier. It was a Bell X-1 aircraft, and he flew it at Mach 1.05. That's 5% faster than the speed of sound, or about 805 miles per hour. He went on to break numerous other flight records, both in speed and altitude. As a full colonel in the 1960s, He commanded the fighter wing at Clark Air Base in the Philippines, where he accrued more than 400 more hours of combat flight time. In 1969, he was promoted to Brigadier General and was named Vice Commander of the 17th Air Force. But let's go back to that time after the war, the test pilot days. It was 1948, just one year after he had achieved fame by breaking the sound barrier, and he decided on a spur of the moment trip to visit his parents in West Virginia in a brand new aircraft. The Air Force didn't even know about this trip. I'll tell you all about it after this break from our sponsors. So many parents are being tasked right now with not only your career and regular parenting duties, but now with trying to help your kids learn. And it's so important that your kids continue hands-on learning from home check out thimble.io. This is an awesome monthly subscription service for middle and high school students that teaches real world stuff like robotics, coding, and engineering through quarterly STEM kits and online classes. So you and your kids can stay at home, but still have a virtual engineering lab at home, teaching your kids everything from robotics to weather stations, to drones, from top professionals who've worked with companies like SpaceX, Microsoft, and Apple. Subscribe now and cancel at any time. Go to thimble.io and use my code TELL ME, all one word, to get 15% off any subscription. That's thimble.io and use the promo code TELL ME. Like jokes? How about stories? What about magic tricks? If you said yes to any of those, you'll love my weekly live stream show, Joke Story Trick Live. Every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, we gather to tell. Listener jokes, do magic, even learn magic, and bring on a special guest to tell a story. We've had everyone from a sitting U.S. congressman to television stars to WWE wrestlers. It's always a great time, and it's a free show. Just go to JokeStoryTrick.com to watch past episodes or tune in every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. That's JokeStoryTrick.com. I hope to see you there. I don't know about you, but this time of year, as it starts to get colder, we love burning candles around the house. Okay, who am I kidding? It's all year round. And our favorite candles are made by Daniel Joseph. They're 100% all natural soy with braided cotton wicks and fragranced oils. And not only are they handmade in Evanston, Illinois, they're made from all American materials. Because they're made with soy instead of crude oil paraffin wax, they burn clean with no soot and they burn longer. We love the cashmere vanilla, but brown sugar and fig is great too, and you'll just have to go see it for yourself. Go to danieljosephcandles.com. It's danieljosephcandles.com. In October of 1948, one year after Chuck Yeager had become the first person to break the sound barrier, he decided on a whim that he wanted to travel home to his parents. He was stationed at Edwards Air Force Base in California, And was flying home in a jet most people had never even seen a lockheed p-80 shooting star it was futuristic looking and was the air force's first jet fighter his plane was to fly to Wright field in dayton ohio but something caught his eye as he was flying over downtown charleston west virginia it was the golden dome of charleston's capitol building he circled around in his shooting star to get a better look at it he was flying 500 miles an hour along the Kanawha River, looked up in front of him and saw the south side bridge. According to Jaeger, he saw the bridge and within a second, he knew he had clearance. Some people say as low as six feet off the water and saw people were jumping off their boats into the water as he approached. He pulled up and he got the heck out of there. Jaeger didn't think twice about it. The whole thing took less than a second. He didn't realize that he had just done something that would create a legend for decades to come. Since then, like most legends, the story has become embellished and changed. One man claims he arranged the flight as a publicity stunt for his newspaper. Yeager says that's not true. There's another story about one of his Air Force buddies who put him up to it, also not true. Other people report seeing the jet do a victory barrel roll after flying under the bridge. The jury's still out on that one. Someone else said that they saw the airplane do three slow rolls. To Chuck Yeager, a man who escaped capture after being shot down in World War II, a man who had broken the sound barrier, who was known as the fastest man in the world, who once parachuted out of a failing aircraft at 8,500 feet wearing a high-altitude suit, who flew hundreds of combat missions. This was just a blip, just a meaningless moment of fun, but it created a legacy that's still talked about today. The bridge over the Kanawha River is really named after the legacy that Chuck Yeager created for air flight and the honor that he brings to his home state of West Virginia. But now that you know this story, you won't be able to drive through Charleston without thinking about this quick 1948 flight. General Chuck Yeager is now 97 years old. I found his email and contacted him to see if he would like to talk with me for this episode. And to my amazement, the world's fastest man, the man whose name appeared on the video game my brother and I played as kids, actually wrote me back. What I got in response were three words. Thank you. No. It's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend and see if they already know what we just learned. Today we're going to call Doc Sakalik. He's a friend of mine who's a doctor, a musician, but the reason I'm calling him for this one is because he's also a pilot. He flies single-engine fixed-wing aircraft, but anyone who has a pilot's license has to love aviation, so I thought this would be a good week to give him a call. Hello. Hey, what's going on, man? Oh, Michael. Good to hear your voice. Good to see you. I, uh, I'm, I'm we're, we're doing this via Zoom call, and you've made your background a... a, a plane-to-plane shot. This is something that you took in the uh, in the actual air. And I'm going to put a picture of this on the show notes so those of you who are just listening can see this. How far away is this other airplane
1: from you? So that's about 300 feet. It's called uh, Formation Flying. And, it, yeah, it was an air-to-air photo. I was in a Champ, and that picture uh, that we took, that other airplane is a Piper, Pacer.
0: How many years have you been flying? About thirty. Thirty years, and do you just pl- you just fly uh, fixed wing single engine?
1: Yes, primarily. Um, I have um, jumped out of planes and just flown myself. Um, I have flown. I took some <laughs> helicopter lessons a few months ago, and I had a glider ride. But yeah, mostly it's uh, powered single engine fixed wing. Uh,
0: what made you want to do that?
1: I think I always wanted to learn to fly when I was a kid, and I never was able to afford it. I remember looking into it right after I graduated high school, just too expensive. Finally, when I got a real job, I was able to afford it. I just didn't have the time. But uh, so I made the time and it took quite a while, it took about um, nine months uh, to learn. Normally it might take maybe six months or less, but I took my first flying lesson right after uh, my wife conceived with my firstborn, which is a coincidence. And we were both due at the same time. I got my pilot's license a few days before my son was born and took my full term pregnant wife for a ride and uh, <laughs> yeah that that was a story that people thought was pretty daring, but
0: that's one way you to know. induce labor <laughs> to well, scare the crap you know, i'm an obstetrician
1: well a lot well she she comes from a family of of pilots, so she was cool, but a lot of people wanted to know what would happen if she went into labor while we were flying, and the answer was oh, i just come back to the airport and get in the car and like go have a baby, so I mean it, it was it was fine.
0: Uh, so our episode is about a uh, is about a legend. There's a bridge in Charleston, West Virginia, called the Chuck Yeager Bridge. Do you know the the legend about Chuck Yeager in Charleston, West Virginia? Have you ever heard this story? Did he fly under it? He did. Uh, yeah. So the, the crazy. Is, it, it is. It is absolutely crazy. Uh, this was only, this is 1948. It's only one year after he had broken the sound barrier. He claims he just saw the bridge and flew under it. Now, I I know when I was a kid, I played, uh, Chuck Yeager combat. I can't remember. It was one, it was a flight simulator. And so I knew of Chuck Yeager when I was probably 10 years old.
1: So I knew about Chuck Yeager when I was ten years old too. It was just in the in the 1960s when I was ten years old so uh, I, w- I was really into the uh, space race and uh, you know the uh, the John Glenn and the Alan Shepard um, you know taking off and first in space and orbiting the earth. Um, I sort of knew about the right stuff guys before there was that Book and movie. And so I'd heard the name Chuck Yeager, and he was one of the guys that uh, went up on one of these little experimental planes underneath another plane to get high enough and then just launched the rockets and just kind of went to the edge of space. So, yeah, I knew about that in the 1960s, also. Uh, Fascinating. And, uh, you know, test pilots, believe it or not, they're very safe and they have a lot of protocols, but the cojones, I got to tell you, you know, with the technology in the 40s and 50s and 60s, what those guys did just seemed like it would be scary. To oh, me. yeah.
0: It doesn't sound safe. I mean, you, when you when you hear some of the things that these people did, and especially in Chuck Yeager's life, there were a lot of things outside of his test pilot career that were crazy. I mean, he was he shot down in World War II. He escaped the Nazis with the French resistance. And in one of his test flights, he actually, uh, he ejected from an airplane at 8,500 feet at one point. But, uh, back to the, back to the Charleston, West Virginia legend, if you were in a single engine aircraft, what's the lowest you could ever fly at full speed?
1: Oh, um, safely. Yes. Yeah. Um. Well, an inch off the ground, actually, as long as you're not touching the ground, the airplane will fly. Uh, But I think what you're asking is how low can you go uh, and not hit what's below (laughs) you if there's just the slightest (laughs) bit of wind or just, you know, being slightly off. So for me, you know, when I fly around, if I'm in a non-populated area, unpopulated, we're allowed to go uh, as low as we want as long as we're not within a thousand feet of any object on the ground, including like a cow or something. So I've done, you know, maybe a hundred feet men wow. going at about a hundred miles an hour. But, um, that gives a little leeway going under the bridge. You don't have much leeway.
0: <laughs> no, uh, not at all. And, and the legend is that he was six feet off the water. I can't yeah. believe that that's true, but also, yeah, I mean, a guy like Chuck Yeager knows exactly what that airplane can do at that speed. So you're telling me that legally, like according to FAA regulations, if there's an empty field, let's say like the, the salt flats or something, you can fly a foot off the ground yeah. legally?
1: That's as long as incredible. you're a thousand feet from whatever the, a, an object, a structure, a person, or whatever. Now, in, in a populated area, you can't go below a thousand feet above the highest obstacle. So, like, okay. just flying around your neighborhood, you would have to have to be about 1,000 feet above the ground. But, you know, in a rural area, it, it's not uncommon to see pilots with small planes, like in this photo here, you know, maybe flying 500 feet. And they're going low and slow, we say, and it, it's really pretty safe.
0: I, I um, grew up in uh, Urbana, Ohio.
1: Go oh, I go there also. all the time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so it, it was common to grow up and see uh, crop dusters uh, spray in the fields. And I can remember driving on a country road and just looking like one of these airplanes was coming straight at my car, (laughs) you know, and you'd pull over and watch for a little while and just watch the guy do a few passes back and forth. And it looks like every time, I mean, he's probably... He's probably 100 feet off the ground, but it looks like he's 25 feet off the ground. It's super scary.
1: What they have to do just to save time and fuel, I mean, they're flying like aerobatic uh, routines, practically. They make their pass, and then they try to pull up and turn around in as little distance as possible. So that's what you see, and that's what you hear, and it really gets your attention as they, you know, come pulling up and they, a lot of them probably flew out of uh, Grimes field, which uh, is a very popular um, airport for central Ohio pilots. I go there all the time. I was just there um, on Saturday for breakfast Um, and it, you know, I just get oatmeal and it ends up costing me about $75.
0: (laughs) My, my grandfather, he designed most of the lights that are on most airplanes, even today.
1: He was uh, one of those guys.
0: Yeah. So he. Oh, no, he I know. The- I know all
1: about that. You know, so I'm not an aviation historian. I've just been in the, you know, uh, a buff and a pilot, um, you know, for so many years. But uh, I will tell you that uh, pilots from all over the country know about Grimes. Um, I mean, that's, um, that's like trivia that I tell all my first time flyers when we're flying around, especially if we go over to Urbana. I tell them that's where they developed uh, the landing lights and the airplane lights and things that you just think are normal. Uh, there was a time when you didn't have those. And, of yes. course, you couldn't land at night if you couldn't see. I mean, well, you could, but it was hard.
0: If you were in your airplane, and let's say you were in downtown Columbus, assuming downtown Columbus had a bridge with clearance, and you decided to fly under that bridge, what would happen to you?
1: Well, if if I didn't crash in the river in, in the Scioto, yeah, yeah. let's um, say
0: you pulled you pulled out of it no
1: problem. Um, so a couple things: if nobody reports me, nothing. Um, however, just this year, um, all airplanes uh, are required to be equipped with transponders that identify the aircraft. They identify the aircraft. Uh, by tail number, you know, the the number that's on the plane, um, and altitude and speed. And if you're so close to Port Columbus, the approach controllers definitely would have their eye on you because you're definitely in the very controlled airspace called uh, Class Charlie airspace uh, in Columbus. And if they saw somebody in their airspace at an altitude of 1,800, 600, 500, you know, lower, 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 they'd probably see that. Um, and so even if somebody didn't report me, there'd be some questions that somebody would call and, uh, and, and if, if I couldn't, um, well, first of all, I wouldn't do this. Uh, but, but if I did, um, I'd have to make up a story like my transponder failed or no, there's no way that's possible. Do you have a witness? I dare you to prove it. But, uh, you'd actually, uh, the FAA, it, it, if, if, if you were caught the FAA would be notified and you'd have an FAA review, uh, you might have your license suspended. Um, the FAA would definitely take, uh, action. Um, I mean, it, it, it's serious. You might yeah. lose your license.
0: Now imagine doing that in government property uh, at 500 miles an hour. Or probably probably yeah. faster. <laughs> well,
1: of course, this was 1948, so that yeah. was a good old days. You could sure. do kind of whatever you wanted and just they'd say boys will be boys. But uh...
0: there were newspapers that reached out to the Air Force asking about this. And they said uh, he flew to Wright Field. He landed at Wright Field. Are you going to write anything else that causes any sort of interest? And they, and they kindly denied anything else happening. They just said that he flew over Charleston, uh, yes. and then you know, of course, the stories grew from there. But well,
1: it's true. He did fly over Charleston, six yeah. feet over Charleston. <laughs> six but, feet. Yeah, over. Yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely. It's a crazy story, and you know, I've driven over that bridge so many times, and I never thought twice about why it was named that. Man, what a cool thing! To have, yeah, it's uh, cool. Man, it, it is crazy, home. but yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for joining me and, uh, and really appreciate talking to you. I'd love to chat aviation sometime. We should go get lunch over at Grimes field.
1: Well, you know, it's, um, it's probably about 35 or 40 miles from Ohio state where the airplane is. It takes about 15 or 20 minutes, but it's a, it's a very fun 15 or 20 minutes and, uh, we'll go flying Yeah, Uh, right here on, on your, um, streaming podcast you got yeah. the promise from doc i'm gonna give. You, i'm gonna let you fly
0: <laughs> i'll hold you to that and uh maybe we'll find a way to stream from the air uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh yes
1: yeah well you're young enough you could figure it out with a phone i guess maybe I as don't long know. as you do it because one of us got to fly
0: okay <laughs> <laughs> sounds good i can't wait good All to right. see you man take care Well, that's all for this week. Please leave a review of the podcast on iTunes with a little bit of verbiage. And here's your challenge this week. Leave a review with some sort of pun on flying, aviation, airplane, something like that. And if you leave the best one, I'll send you a free tell me what to Google logo sticker in the mail because I've got those now. Uh, And everyone who joins Patreon gets those for free. Plus, like four and a half hours of bonus content in the form of interviews and videos and all kinds of fun stuff. Plus, writing a few words on iTunes with your five-star review helps a ton to allow other people to listen and to allow other people to tell me what to Google. We'll see you next week. Tell me what to google is written and produced by me michael kent the theme song is by reed mathis and additional music this week was by the westerlies you can listen to past episodes by searching for tell me what to google wherever you get your podcasts and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash michael kent